0: This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephyr only on 101.9 High fm
1: you may remember the Times newspaper. It was a delightful daily that was delivered to your home if you're already subscribed to the Sunday Times. One of my favorite columns that I always look forward to reading was that by chef, author of recipe books and restaurant owner Andrea Bergener. Her columns dealt with topics as diverse as food sustainability and ethics, debunking food fads and providing recipes for comfort when needed. I thought about her the other day when I found myself at Rand's team shopping center and saw an outlet a famous restaurant, The Leopard. I wondered where she was and what she was doing now, so I'm absolutely delighted to have her as my guest. Andrew, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Andrea, how did you get into the food industry? Quite a weird route, really. My
0: training wasn't actually, I didn't have a formal training as a chef. Um, like a lot of people who end up in restaurants, I'm moonlit, moonlighted, whatever the past tense is, in a lot of other people's businesses. I did a lot of that while I was doing my arts degree at FITS. I used to do that in between times for fun and to earn money and whatever. And then for some bizarre reason, once I'd finished with that, I just decided that serving food seemed like a more satisfying way to be creating. Um, It's also something you do with your hands. And I like the immediacy of it. Um, It seemed like a simple sort of thing compared to what I'd been doing at university. We opened a restaurant and learned the hard way.
1: Andrea, one of the things I really enjoyed about your column is your debunking of myths. And it seems so simple. We eat to live, right? And it should be one of the most simplest things that we do. And yet it's not. We somehow get caught up in all kinds of issues around food. And I wonder if you can talk through that psychology. Well, I think that
0: probably what marks our relationship to food so much more now The main thing about our relationship to food, which didn't say if you went back a hundred years ago or more, is that we are so divorced from the making of the food. The more we are urbanites, um, the more there's technology involved, the more there's processing involved, the more we live these quite kind of reified, separated lives, the more that relationship is so much defined by not knowing, by invisibility. And I think that it's that fact which has allowed certain fads to increase and certain things around the decision-making that we used to have to to disappear.
1: Talking about fads, there's so much information out there. And we as the consumers are easily hoodwinked by marketing. This fruit is better for you than that fruit. And again, there is so much information out there. You know, am I being healthier if I eat couscous, whether I eat, you know, quinoa, what is the healthiest, what is the best way? How do you sift the fats? What I do, which is probably not such a practical advice
0: for most people, is that I do an enormous amount of research. I just love researching this information. Unfortunately, though, that is the only thing that you can do, actually, now as an eater, as a user of anything in order to get to the bottom of things. I suppose you can also latch on to people who you know do, do the research and try and get it from them. But, you know, it's secondhand. Why should you believe them rather than doing the research yourself? Unfortunately, that's a situation we're in because the combination of being divorced from the, the processes and, and the facts, if you, if you want, and also the fact social media can bring fads into focus so quickly, you know, they're, they're there and they're gone and they're there and they're gone, means that the soundbitey stuff is also what stays um and anything that's a bit more nuanced and complex just falls to the bottom so i think it's it additionally means that you do actually if you want to look after yourself you do have to do some some hunting on
1: your own South Africa, Andrew, is very also a divide, not divide, well. It is a divided society, but that's not really where I want to go. Um, it's a society of haves and have nots, and access to food and healthy food isn't always accessible to all people. I mean, would you argue, firstly, that healthy food is less accessible to poorer people, or is that incorrect? I think absolutely correct.
0: I think that that is probably the biggest problem that we have globally. It's not really that there isn't enough space to grow the food we need or that there isn't enough food. It's that the access to healthy food is not there for people who are under a certain income. And it will probably stay that way because governments, as we now know, are largely owned by industry. And industry doesn't really care whether we're healthy or not. It cares about the margin. It cares about the bottom line. That's one of the reasons why the plant-based movement has been so backed by industry. Um, Not because they care about the environment. I mean, not that necessarily the plant-based food is better for the environment, but because they can make more profit out of it. They can more easily turn it into a commodity. It can be shipped and stored more easily. It's much easier to grow it with industrialized ways of farming. So that is... Unfortunately, what, what we're looking at is that people are being fed cattle fodder, really.
1: And in terms of food waste, I know you write passionately on this topic. Is there a way that we as ordinary South Africans can deal better, more effectively with food waste? Well, I think
0: you know, it's such a difficult topic because the waste is so huge right across the chain. And in many ways, that waste is embedded in the system in a way that we have little access to. So, yes, of course we must, each of us, make sure that we're not throwing away food, that we're not buying wastefully when we eat out, that we're not purchasing excessively. But I don't think that most people are doing that. I think that the waste is so out of our sight that it's very, very hard to change it without making quite big changes in your diet. I mean, an example I always think of is of waste that's happening out of our sight and out of our, well, it is in our control, but it's, you know,
1: it's not in our domestic control. One thing that, in a way, it's sad, but I found reassuring is that whenever I throw food away, I feel terrible and guilty. But then I read an article that um, lower income households also end up throwing food away because we just really don't know how to manage food, you know, how to buy it, how to save it, how to, you know, ensure that we don't. Clearly, you know, it's something I don't know where the problem comes in, but it's across the board that people are throwing food out. Yeah. No, that is absolutely true. And I think that's also an area
0: where um processed foods, packaging and all of those kind of things which have separated us from common sense, mean that we do that thing of going, oh, the sell by date says it's off. So you listen to the sell by date and turf it. But we seem to have lost, yeah, we've lost common sense. I think so. We don't know what we can eat and what we can't.
1: Andrew, you, you've just given an example of um, seafood and and ethics, and and this is something you're obviously very passionate about. What has the response been to your drive for more ethical food farming? I think that
0: within certain communities or it's hard to know the verbal response and, and and when I talk to people people are more and more interested in it but actual buying patterns I'm not so sure whether people really care enough to pay the difference where they need to pay the difference not because people don't care about it when they think about it but because again we are removed. From the process. And then I think the other complication is what is ethical? You know, I think that that has been something that's been confused for us as urbanites who don't see processes. And it's very hard to get it right. If you, I don't, I'm even hesitant to use the word ethical because I often feel that when we say ethical, we might even mean emotional. You know, it's often these things that we say are ethical are emotional decisions. Certain communities will 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 feel it's unethical to be killing whales, other communities will feel it's unethical to be killing cows. I feel emotionally very sorry for the rats that are killed in grain harvests because they are cleverer than cows. <laughs> you know, but that I recognize it's an emotional response. So I think that I think that these that the responses in terms of people's awareness. And that is a good thing that, that that the vegan movement has done is is make people think about these things. I think that that is growing to some extent, but I think that as long as we are urbanites and divorced from the process, our decision, our, what we decide is ethical, is often very weird.
1: I mean, I hear you. Procession has been quite kind of heavy in terms of our topic discussion but maybe we can bring a little bit of fun in here too because I know your yes, are always not? <laughs> and food is obviously for enjoyment as well as nourishment and and maybe you can just talk about some of the joys or highlights of of the cooking that you do or sharing the recipes or coming up with foods that really you feel people will enjoy
0: in a funny way one of the things that is a joy for me I mean not to make it heavy again but one of the things that is a joy for me is to be able to share what I think is good and right about food production, that if I know somebody is buying this sort of pork rather than that sort of pork, it makes me very, very happy. So it's quite hard for me to, to, to separate those two. One of the things that I've always loved apart from that about, about sharing food information is that you can share information that isn't around the sort of, complicated things that chefs do in restaurants that a lot of people feel, like, oh, I need to do this. I need to be able to do that. But very, very simple things that make people's lives just nicer, you know, that we've managed, that we've discovered over the years, or how to deal with this, how to deal with that. Um, and sharing that tiny little thing that seems quite basic with people and them going, oh, well, now my, now my son can make this and he makes it for us for breakfast, you know, that kind of thing I love.
1: And I'm just thinking, I I remember finding when I cleaned up a recipe I'd kept on the perfect, I think it was mashed potato, possibly one on rice pudding, even one on French toast. So um, these are things that, you know, anybody could make uh, and enjoy and all the rest. Andrea, if anybody, you're not writing anymore, are you? I'm not, no. Um, I do have a second
0: cookbook in in the pipeline that'll be done in a few months, but I'm not writing for newspapers at the moment. And your uh, original, your first cookbook? Lampedusa Pie. It's out of print at the moment. I'm trying to organize it, it can be an ebook until the other one is out
1: and about. Okay, so we'll just have to wait for that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to work. I miss your
1: columns. To get Andrew, it out quickly. So it was, I, I miss your columns, so I'm happy to have had the chance at least to catch up with you in person. And Thank, thank you, you, very you so much. For joining. much. Thank you. Um, that was Andrea Bergener, um, chef, author of recipe books and restaurant owner.